Welcome to Destination Church Belfast's weekly podcast. For more information about our church, you can find us on the web at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. You can also join us every Sunday morning at 10.30am at Mosley Pavilion. Now for the message. This morning we are continuing to look at our topic of worship. For those of you who were there at Small Group, did you enjoy getting the chance to chat about that somewhat? If you weren't there, please come along this week, Wednesday and Thursday night. Um, As I've said before, this is a series of messages slightly uh, changed uh, for the seasons, because the seasons change, but his love remains. I went out to my man cave bright and early this morning and thought, oh jeepers, it's a wee bit nippy, had full of faith not founded that it would get warmer inside and it was freezing and at about seven o'clock I had to give up and come inside though the seasons change it's a little bit different when things move on and it takes a wee bit of time to adjust ourselves to the requirements of the season and every season has a sacrifice and it takes a little bit of time to pay the sacrifice and to figure out what the sacrifice is but every season also has its rewards so though the seasons change his love remains amen Are we agreed about that? So no matter what place we find ourselves in this morning, whether it's very easy, whether it's difficult, whether it's despondent, though the seasons change as love remains. So we're continuing on with this uh, series on worship. Today's is called Saw, Seen, Convicted and Called. Saw, Seen, Convicted and Called. And we're going to unpack Isaiah 6 a little bit. But as I said, uh, Dr. Dennis is responsible. He's the granddaddy of destination church Belfast and a translocal leader with us and these are his messages and uh, I've uh, made them my own with his kind permission so it's great to be able to communicate them to you. So to recap here we prioritize his presence and poor Judith is never going to sit in that corner again because everybody looked around at her as I said to, to look at our vision statement. So our first line is prioritizing God's presence As a community known for his love, reproducing disciples of Jesus who manifest Holy Spirit power here, near and far. So we want to prioritize him in absolutely everything that we do. And this morning in worship, could you feel it? It just was starting to take off. And we're going to have more and more of those things. And in some ways, I was trying to figure out, because you're all a wee bit quiet. But yet in worship, it seemed like we were all just... I was, oh yeah, come on, come on, yeah. It's a little bit embarrassing sometimes when it pops out, but why shouldn't it? Shirley's back in the house. We're discovering that worship has a destination, which is the presence of Christ among us. Psalm 22, verse 3, you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And that means that he comes and he makes himself comfortable and dwells among us when we worship him. And I shared the story last week, can you remember, about little Isaac a couple of years ago. Mommy, you're so lovely, you're so special, think you're so pretty. And Claire said what I needed her to say, which is she wept because she hurt his heart. And it's exactly the same with us and God. And if we have turned it into something where we have to get our language right and we have to perform in certain ways, whether it's in the charismatic world, hands must be elevated in the air. I remember somebody saying, through the anti-gravity lever, as you come into church and the hands just fly up. Well, you could call us charismatic, but we're not. You could, we're not uh, evangelicals either. We're empowered evangelicals. What that means is that we have the liberty to be who we are with God. It's not right. So does it mean that every time, if you're going to worship, your hand has to go high? 
Sometimes it means when you don't want to because you're scared of what it would look like, the best thing for you to do is to act in the opposite spirit and thrust your hand in there and go, I don't care. This is for him. Sometimes it feels like I'm trying to, trying to reach up to him. It's like when Isaac comes up to me and says, can you lift me? Just lift me. Just lift me, please. Give me a hug. And other times, it's just so still. There were moments in worship there where Nathan was trying to get my attention. <laughs> and I, I was just over here. Just, yeah, said, I'm loved. Oh, God, it's just, you feel at peace. And really, it would be inappropriate at that moment to go, come on! Because it's just stillness. So we've got to learn to respond to the moment with the liberty that we have as a child of God rather than trying to cookie cut what we think he wants from us. He wants us, however we are. Struggling with a little bit this morning, talking with Claire a bit before, and I thought, I've got to get a hold of my thoughts. So I come to him present with all that stuff and go, and it just feels like he pulls you back into the center and things come back into alignment. So you come with your stuff, but you bring it to him. And as you bring it to him, you find hopefully the liberty that you've discovered. Do you find that you get free and then somehow it feels like you're trapped again? It's like you put slowly, just the weeks, put your hands back into the handcuffs. And on a Sunday, he comes and unlocks them and you bring them around. You go, mental note, during the week, don't let your hands be put behind your back and put into the handcuffs. And then you come on the Sunday again. But keep coming and eventually you'll find that even though your hands are tempted to go back, you go, no, I'm free. So we come with who we are and what we've got. So when you worship God, he is captivated when you're telling him what you know to be true about him. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 32. You will know the truth. And Andrew's talked about this. The Greek word is gnosko and it means to, to know, to experientially know and to have first-hand acquaintance of. So I have faith. Do you remember that series we did before? It's so quick to forget, isn't it? That pistis, the word for faith is pistis, which means to be fully convinced and persuaded by God. Well, I'm fully persuaded and convinced that he absolutely adores us. That he can't get enough of us. He desires us, can't get enough of our presence. That you are wanted and you're enjoyed by him. You've no need to perform for him because he's not going to get offended by you. You know when you're with people and you're just nervous as to what's... Are they going to get offended? Is it going to be a conversation? Is it going to be stillness and quietness for a while? And you're thinking, what's going on? God's not like that. We get to relax when we're with him. And this process takes time. It's a process of renewing our minds and our behavior as we begin to see who God really is and give him um, what we alone can in spirit and in truth. Worship has to do with bowing down to the person or object that we're worshiping. And it has to do with intimacy of relationship. So it's expressed like here in a worship service, but it's also expressed in our lives and how we live them, how we love others, how we don't say the things that we're so tempted to at different times, and how we do say the things that sometimes we find difficult to say. And a definition of worship would be the endeavor of freely giving an expression of our love to God. For love to be love, it has to be expressed. And we want to grow in our freedom as we do that. Okay. We want love that's expressed, that is unrestricted and unrestrained. Now, Claire and I, she suggested to me beforehand that I should get us both up and demonstrate. I thought that would be too far. But our love for each other as husband and wife should be unrestricted and unrestrained. As Ruth's going, stop it! My ears are bleeding! But you hope that when you get married that your love is unrestricted and unrestrained. If 
in marriage. <laughs> so all the men go, it really should be. And all the women go, maybe once a month. Um, that, that it should be unrestricted and unrestrained. If it's not in the context of marriage between man and wife, there is something wrong. With our God, our love should be unrestricted and unrestrained. If you can step over the analogy and we're a bit like, oh dear, oh, I don't want to talk. Oh, it's like it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. What are you talking about? No, it's a perfect analogy of Christ in his church. Intimacy. They know everything about each other. It is unrestricted and it's unrestrained. We want to worship him exactly like that. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. And how do you let everything find its proper place? By going after God first. And I did a list last week of all of the different things that can kind of take his place. And it's not, sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like we're talking, when we talk about that we're composed of a body, we're composed of a soul and we're composed of a spirit. And we make mention that the soul should never lead. For some reason, we then go, the soul's bad. It's not bad at all. The soul is how we exist in this world and express ourselves through our body. But it's a very bad master. But it's not bad. All of these other things that we put in God's place have their own place. And as we go after him, then he brings them into alignment as to where they should be in relation to him. And what you worship has a hold on your heart. We cannot wait to enjoy the thing we worship. We cannot wait to be in the presence of the thing we worship. And the sad truth is that, w- that if we do not bow our knee to Christ, we'll bow it to something or someone else. So this week we want to talk about saw, seen, convicted and called. This is Isaiah 6, starting at verse 1 if you want to read along with me. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two they were covered their face. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And I said, here I am and send me. And then the verse that we normally don't read after. And he said, go and tell this people. So next week, we're going to look a little bit more about different practical expressions of worship. But today, we just want to dig a little bit in. I think there's so much within this passage. The first thing I want to say is dealing with disappointment. The year that King Uzziah died, I think the last time I spoke about this, I drew reference to having kings in your life and kings that had thrones that maybe God should have in your life. But this time I dug a little bit into the the name and who Uzziah was. Do you know anything about him? Okay, well that's good because you're hopefully going to learn something today. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jekuliah. 
She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. And he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, it gave him success. But after Isaiah, but, isn't there always the but? Or sometimes there's not, but there's a big but here. But after Isaiah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. And King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died, and he lived in, lived in a separate house, which basically means that he had his responsibilities removed from him. He was leprous, and he was banned from the temple of the Lord. Uzziah means Yahweh is my strength. That's what his name actually meant. And for Isaiah, I wonder, maybe not, and I don't know whether it was, but it's certainly relevant for us. But after the process of watching the life of Isaiah filled with unpartnered promise, we can think that God will say something to us, you'll be prophesied over, and I'll tell you of all the wonderful things that could happen. But maybe we don't partner with God and we come to certain stages in our life and there could have been a different reality than what we've experienced. But it hasn't happened. And we can point the finger at him and think, you should have done this and it's all this and it's all that. I could have a vision for our marriage, but in my isolation, it's not a marriage. We have to partner together if we want to go somewhere. So for Isaiah, maybe, I would say I'm sure it was, he was human. He had to watch this unpartnered promise disintegrate due to the pride that was present in Isaiah's heart. And when Isaiah died, he was completely re-envisioned. The unpartnered promise we're invited into wonderful things or we prophesy to others or we see the potential in others and that potential is not realized. And I wonder, did Isaiah pray and hope that it would all be turned around? Do you remember with David, he had uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba. A child was conceived and then the child was struck and the child was sick and uh, David fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed. And then the child died and David went and washed and dressed himself. And everybody said, what are you doing? And he said, well, it's over. He got up and he walked on. Did Isaiah, the whole time that Uzziah was alive, wonder, I wonder, will he repent? I wonder, will he testify to everybody that the Lord's my strength? I wonder, was he tired, hoping that a man would repent and live? And maybe he did know from the Spirit that it was never going to be possible. And then Uzziah dies. Though the seasons change, your love remains. And in that season, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. So I want to ask us, is there anywhere that we have placed our hope solely in man and have been deeply disappointed? We do that, don't we? Maybe we don't know that we're doing it. There's a verse that Isaiah interestingly said, or penned, which was, those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. I can prophesy to you and it can be the most spectacular, wonderful thing and everybody around will go, that is on, that is absolutely God and if you partner with him, that's going to happen. And I can be disappointed completely if you don't see that fulfilled in your life, if I am trusting in you alone. But if I am firmly and rooted in him and I, my hope is present in him, even though even though the kings might die because of their lives being completely devastated by their lack of partner, we will never be disappointed when we trust in God. 
So is there anywhere where you have placed your hope solely in man and have been deeply disappointed? Isaiah said also in Isaiah 2.22, you should stop trusting in people to save you because people are only human. They aren't able to help you. He is our God. We should never place the responsibility of someone else to save us. We have one saviour and that is Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? Amen. Mm-hmm. Some of you went also the American over there. Mm-hmm, that's right. When we lift expectation off from others that should only be on God, we are free to love them as they are. And that love releases them to become who God created them to be, should they choose him. And the reality of this love that we're called to is, we've got to be committed to love you no matter whether you change or not. And by that very act of commitment, you will change. Has anybody else experienced that? When you have all of the expectation lifted off you from others and from God, I don't, I think that God, he, I don't know how to put this. It's not that he comes along and says, come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Oh, he, oh, he blew it again. Come on, come on. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else that I could hope in? Is there, man, is there anybody else? Maybe he just comes and says, you can do this. Maybe he comes and says, you're never going to do this if you keep going the way that you're going. He invites us in. He doesn't land on us and say, my hope is solely in you. And that's it. If you stuff this up, it's going to be stuffed up forever. And the thing is that when we do stuff it up, if we do stuff it up spectacularly for those of who have spectacularly stuffed it up, was he not the one that was standing there going, come here, son. Come here, love. Lift your expectations off of others and place them solely onto him. And if he says to you, son, I want to persuade you that there's hope present on that man there, then you hope like Belio. But don't place the hope, the expectation and the trust that should be present on him, on others. We deal with disappointment by hoping in God, which often causes hope to rise in us for other people. Second thing, Isaiah saw worship in heaven. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then uh, from Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. After the death of Isaiah, Isaiah saw the king. And worship is continual because God is continually seen in heaven. Isaiah saw spiritual beings declaring spiritual truths. The spiritual beings declared that his glory is fully present on the earth. You ever heard that phrase, you're so heavenly minded, you're, you're no earthly use? How jacked up is that phrase? You're never going to be of any use here until you're heavenly minded. And heaven is the place that's actually saying, his glory is present completely and fully on the earth. It's not like it's just somewhere in Uzbekistan down on that peninsula. His glory is present fully in the earth. Heaven is declaring what is present on the earth of God. We don't have to go to heaven to worship God, although that might be quite nice. Our job is to reveal that the glory of the one in heaven is fully present here on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. 
But often we live like it's exactly the opposite. Look at everything that's wrong down here. It's just, look how the world's turning. Look at this that's happening. Look at the way everybody's thinking. Look at the media. Look at that, da, 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 da. When maybe we should let our minds be renewed and go, where is his glory? It says it's full. The earth is, the earth is full of his glory. I'm going to find it and I'm going to declare it. We live subjective to our circumstances rather than objectively in the light of the truth. And we live as if the clouds remove the sun. Oh, it's dark today. The hope that was present yesterday is gone. Anybody else have that t-shirt? Running the roller coaster of emotions. God is so good. He is so faithful. And he is so kind. Where are you, Lord? Have you forgotten about... Why do we all turn into Old Testament prophets whenever we're, we're devastated? Where hast thou gone, my Lord? Dost thou leave me in this pit of despair? God's going, stop with the drama. It's just clouds. Just a wee bit of difficulty. Claire's leaning back a little bit. We ride the roller coaster of our circumstances, don't we? And then we ride the roller coaster of emotions and wonder why our emotions are so messed up when really all our emotions do is betray what we actually believe. I remember, I've told this story before, I was starting this uh, job in Titanic a few years ago and they rang me so excited saying, we, they just, it was, such a, it was a great interview and they rang going, it was brilliant, we just really want you and my heart sank and hit the deck. I thought, what is wrong with me? What, what is going on? And I went uh, and spent a bit of time with God and he said, you're just a bit scared because of what had happened to you before in a place like that. My emotions were telling me what I actually believed. Are you done with riding the roller coaster of your emotions? They're always going to be present. They might always be slightly off, but you don't have to yield to them. Let me show you a better way. Look at the one who never changes. Never, ever, 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 ever changes. On your worst day when you are the worst, can I just say the worst Christian is complete oxymoron? It's like I'm a brilliant Christian today. If you're making that statement, you have not got what it means actually to be a Christian. Isn't that right? On your worst day and on your best, his love is completely the same for you. The difference is that you won't go to him for his love because you don't feel you're worthy of it, which betrays the fact that you don't actually accept that he died for you because you couldn't sort it out anyway. I dare you. See, whenever you're having one of those awful days, you've completely fallen on your face and done the thing that you've wanted to give up for the whole entirety of your life, go to him right then. And you, I dare you to trust that he loves you on the days when you feel that he loves you. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. Do you want to take it up? Look at the one who never changes. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Numbers 23, 19. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, except Tuesdays. Mondays. Gan work said, I don't like Tuesdays. And I went, why? And he went, well, it's just, I just don't like Tuesdays. And I went, no, I said, Tuesday's a great day. And he was like, how can you like Tuesdays? And I went, I do, just like Tuesdays. I don't like Tuesdays. And I'm like, you keep your not liking Tuesdays. I love them. Please hear this. It's a ridiculous statement that he's not the same on Tuesdays. 
But yet we believe that, don't we? Will I feel his love today and he loves me? Well, I don't feel it another day, therefore he doesn't. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Write the moments down when he comes close and you can feel him and he says things to you, write them down and don't forget in the darkness what he's spoken to you in the light. We've been fathered by change and we've been fathered by instability and we've become uncertain and we've become insecure. And it's time to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. No longer to be conformed by how this world thinks and acts, but become like him in a world that doesn't know it's Achilles tendon from its elbow. You're a different type of person and you have to live that out in this world. And when it all goes Pete Tong and everybody else is terrified, we can stand there and go, it's going to be all right. And at that point, they'll go, why are you like that? And you'll go, because of Jesus. And they'll go, mm, don't know whether I like that answer. Back to heaven. Their spiritual worship declared spiritual truths and it caused the shaking. Are we spiritual beings? Are we discovering spiritual truths? Well, then what happens? When the seraphim declared as spiritual beings, spiritual truths, what happened to the doorposts and the thresholds? They shook. They shook. We are exactly the same. When we worship him and in spirit and in truth, there is an almighty shaking on the threshold, on the place of transition. Those seasons change, his love remains. We want to see these seats filled, don't we? Let's worship them with all we've got. Often what is first shaken when we see God is our view of ourselves. And Isaiah was seen by himself and conviction came. He cried, woe to me, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. When he touched my mouth, he said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah begins to experience God's holiness and he saw his own condition and the condition of those around him when he saw the Lord. And in worship, I said this last week, often God begins to deal with our stuff with gentle mercy and worship. To give you a practical outworking of this, Years ago, I was part of this course and one of the leaders came to me just before worship and said, Colin, I'd asked you to do something, you didn't do it. And I said, you didn't ask me. And they said, you did? I did. And I said, I really, you didn't ask me. And I went backwards and forwards a little bit and I thought, this is a hill to die on. Just said, really, you didn't ask me. And in worship, hi God, you're wonderful, you're amazing, amazing, absolutely. And the Spirit said, he did ask you. And there's the circumstance. And I remembered the moment exactly when he did. And I went over to the guy and I said, I'm really sorry, but you did ask me and apologize about that. No drama. He just reminds us because in worship, he gently deals with the stuff that we have present on us. John 16, 8, when he comes, this being the spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It is never condemnation. Romans 8, 1 to 2, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Or is anybody there experiencing condemnation 
today? Yes? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not like us. He doesn't change. So if you're experiencing even a shred of condemnation, you're experiencing and allowing something that you should not have to tolerate. When God reveals a problem, he provides a solution and ministers to the specific area that requires attention. What God reveals, he will heal. And then Isaiah heard the call of God. He, um, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. And then Matthew twenty two fourteen. For many are called and few are chosen. And at first glance, that phrase can be a bit like, God says, who wants to come? And everybody stands up and goes, I want to come. And he goes, I'm taking Angie. Have you thought that about that phrase? Many are called and few are chosen. Does that mean that God's kind of cruel? That he just calls people and he just decides, oh, well, they're not going to just pick them. God calls and we are chosen because we choose to respond to the call. Many are called and few are chosen. Do you realize how few actually believe God? I was praying for this man maybe 13, 14 years ago and I became inconsolable. I mean, I was a total and utter mess. I, <laughs> you know, that kind of a cry. I, gone. Why was I like that? Because I felt a glimpse of his heart for his son because he said yes to him. Do you realize how rejected God is? Do you appreciate how few actually believe him? Do you, if you walk out that there's no condemnation in Christ, you will be one of the very, very few. Many are called and few are chosen because few choose to respond. Responding to the call of God will kill us and resurrect us all at once and we become who we are called to be. It is a process. God shows us an aspect of himself so that we might become who he is revealing himself to be. What did David say in the 23rd Psalm about God? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. Abundance, abundance, provision, protection, abundance, comfort, blessing in front of enemies, anointing, cup overflowing, goodness, God with him forever. What's he called you to be? A warrior? A shepherd, a friend, a prophet, a husband, a wife, a counselor, a strategist, a gardener, with several knives for pruning, a fisherman, a beauty, a king. What's he called you to be? What does he say to you? What has he shown you about himself? You're wondering what you're called to do. What has he shown you about himself? I know that he's a gardener. I know that he's really kind. I know that everything's going to be all right. I know that he's full of passion. I know that he has honor and he has integrity. I know that he is all powerful. 
I know that he can do that and it all changes. I also know that at times he could click his fingers and he doesn't because in his wisdom he allows what easily in his power he could deal with. What do you know about him? You're asking him, God, what have you called me to be? What has he shown you about himself? Will you stand with me? And would you guys come and join me at the front as well? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would increase your presence among us now. Let me just encourage you to close your eyes. We're just going to be still for a minute. Many are called. So many are called. But so few choose me. I call so many. I knock on the door of their heart. I give them opportunity. I show them a glimpse of my goodness. I call so many. But so few choose me. What do you say? What do you say? What will your response be? Lauren, I see the Lord um, standing in front of you. And he's putting his hand out to you. He's just grasping your right hand and he's got it held really, really tight. And he wants to pull you into a dance. But you've got to let him lead. There's beauty that he wants to twirl and spin and declare to the world through you that he has put on you and in you. I see the Lord um, inviting you for a cup of tea to come and sit down beside him to listen to how he asks you questions tell me your story Russell he hands you a sword and it's a sword of honour trust you with it if you would take it from his hands Holy Spirit we know you and yet we know so little about you and I ask that in this moment Lord we would never recover that we would be utterly ruined by the warmth of your love and the reality of your presence. And in Jesus' name, I speak to the seeds 
the sovereign seeds that have been deposited within every life that is present here, that they would germinate now in Jesus' name. Though the seasons change, your love remains. The Lord would declare to you that the temperature of the soil is going to increase and there, there will be an outbreaking from within you to what has been present and hidden within you to bud and to blossom and to bear fruit. Many are called and few are chosen because so few say their yeses. So as always, I've got some questions to help you to respond this morning. Have you got some disappointment in your life? Some things that you had full faith would happen and they didn't. Some things that seemed so promising and they just didn't end well. Or has God revealed to you in some areas of your character the need is provision? Or have you heard the call of God and desire to live your life in response? If you can answer yes to any of these things or you simply want ministry, please come and join me now at the front. You've been listening to Destination Church Belfast's weekly podcast. For more information on our church, you can find us on the web on www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. Thank you for listening.